So this afternoon we are studying what scripture teaches about the second commandment as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 35 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So let's now read together Lord's Day 35. What does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught, not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Thus far the reading of our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in 2 Corinthians 11, the, the Apostle Paul makes a curious statement. He tells the Corinthian Christians that someone might come to them and proclaim a different Jesus than the one Paul had already proclaimed to them. Now, what does Paul mean by someone preaching a, a different Jesus? Well, instead of preaching Jesus of Nazareth, did he mean someone might preach uh, a different person altogether, such as Jesus from Hebron or Jesus from Jericho? Well, that's highly unlikely. What he probably means is that someone might proclaim a Jesus of Nazareth, but that he would twist the truth about him, and not proclaim him rightly. Such a preacher might use the name Jesus, the one they already knew, but change his essence, change what he is like. Perhaps it might change Jesus' teaching. Maybe they would speak false things about his person. Could be that they corrupt the message of salvation that our Lord brought. Whatever the case may be, they were not proclaiming our Lord Jesus as he truly is. And this sort of thing is at the heart of the second commandment. See, many people use the name of God and acknowledge that he is there, but when asked what they mean, when they use the word God, you get something that is not biblical at all, does not uh, give an accurate description of God by any means. And the Lord our God commands us not to do this. Also in the second commandment, when he says, do not make an image of him. So we hope to see this afternoon central to this means we are to know and acknowledge God as he truly is, as he has revealed himself in his word. That brings us to the sermon theme. In the second commandment, the Lord God commands us to know him as he truly is. And along with that theme, we're going to look at three 
main things connected to it. First of all, why we're going to look at why we corrupt the true knowledge of God or why we are tempted to do that. A second, then we're going to look at how Christ enables us to have a true knowledge of God. And then finally, we're going to look at ways we can grow in gaining that true knowledge of God. So the, the first point is uh, why we corrupt or why we might be tempted to corrupt the true knowledge of God. So God commands us not to make an image of him. No statues, no pictures, no artistic replicas, uh, no casting of him in the form of an animal or a person. The first question we might ask is, well, why does God command that? For all, many of us are visual people. Maybe we would find it uh, helpful or useful in worship. However, an image of God can never capture who God truly is. It will always fail. An image will always corrupt God's perfect being. It will fall uh, far short of his glory and his majesty and rob him of it. Well, the next question we should ask is, well, why is the human heart and also our hearts, why is it tempted towards the sin? What is the motivation to make an image of God? What's at the root of it? Well, the the answer is found in understanding who God is and understanding who we are. You see, the eternal God created humans in his own image to have fellowship with him. Humans were meant to live in wonderful fellowship with the God of glory Well, what do we see happen right after the fall into sin? We see Adam and Eve running away from God, hiding from him. They became scared of God. They knew they were not able to have that same fellowship with this majestic God of glory. And these same things now infect every person on earth. We, we all know this deep down inside us, that by ourselves, we can't have full fellowship with the God who created us. Think about God for a moment. His majesty and glory and holiness and justice are infinite. We don't, can't even comprehend who he is, his, his power. And sinful humans know Instinctively, they cannot live in the presence of this awesome God as they presently are, as sinners. As long as people remain in their sin and estranged from God, the human mind will go, will go crazy thinking, thinking about God as he truly is. So what does the fallen person try to do? And this can be in our hearts too. Instead of changing themselves, repenting, and asking for forgiveness, instead sinful humans try to change who God is. So again, instead of changing ourselves by repenting and asking for forgiveness, sinful humans try to change who God is. Of course, that's never going to work, but sinful humans try it anyway. You see, our sinful human hearts don't want to acknowledge God as he is, that he's our creator, that he is infinitely majestic and glorious and worthy of all our worship. 
And this motivates the human heart to corrupt the true knowledge of God by making an image of him. After all, if you can make an image of God, suddenly you can put yourself over top of God. Instead of confessing that he is our creator, who made us in his image, and we must do his will, making an image of God flips us around. We become the creators of God. Uh, we become the creators of God's image. And now God must do our will. And we can manipulate him. And you can see something of this in our reading from Jeremiah 10. Uh, there we read how people, they chop down trees, they shape metal into images, they form an image of their God. Well, what do we see with their idols? Their idols cannot walk, they cannot speak, they can't hear. That means that God is now in their own control. That's what sinful humans want, the heart of us, our sinful heart, to try to do the same thing with a living God. Gives us a sense that we're above him, that we can shape him, and we can play creator. Making an image of God also encourages the human heart uh, to continue in sin. See, an image of God always will degrade God. Rob him of his glory, his majesty, all his other perfections. And if, if God has changed in our minds and made to be little, then suddenly sin becomes no big deal. And that is what the human heart really wants. Because if God is no big deal, then sin is no big deal, and so people think they can continue on in it. In the same vein, the human heart may also want to make an image of God because of uh, pure fear. Think again of Adam and Eve. After they sinned, they tried to hide from God. They were scared. They didn't want to be confronted with God's glory and justice. And making an image of God can have the same root. A way of hiding from God's true person. After all, who can, as a sinful person, stand before God? No one can in themselves. We can't in ourselves. Uh, listen to only what we read from Jeremiah 10. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations, for this is your due? The Lord is a true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. It's he who made the earth by his power. When he utters his voice, there's a tumult of waters in the heavens. The sinful human heart cannot bear the majesty of this God, and so the temptation is to corrupt who God is. And seeing the, the root, this sin, seeing the root of this sin shows that we are prone to this as well. You know, I'm quite confident that none of you have tried to make a statue of God, or at least I sure hope not. Uh, but making an image of God is not only something the Israelites fell for. Uh, we can twist his image in, in an attempt to make God in the way that we like. That happens when we don't like a certain aspect of God, as we read about it in God's word. Uh, maybe we're simply afraid of God, like Adam and Eve. Maybe we want to continue on in sin. 
And all these things can tempt us to change in our minds uh, who God is. We have to resist that. Instead, we are the ones who need to be changed. And even if we don't cut down a tree to make a physical idol, we are tempted to cut out certain parts of the Bible because we don't like what it says about the Lord God. If we don't like his judgment and wrath, we may say things such as, well, the Old Testament God was a God of wrath, but the New Testament God is a God of love. That's making a false image of the Lord. Or if we have a vindictive spirit, we might not want to talk about his grace to people we don't like. Think of the prophet Jonah. He struggled with that very thing. He knew God was a God of mercy and grace, and he didn't like it because he didn't want God having mercy on the people of Nineveh, his enemies. So instead of preaching to them, he ran away from the Lord. And so they, these sorts of sins can arise in our hearts too. That brings us to the second point. So we've just seen the reasons why we might be tempted to break this commandment. Now, having seen this, we might want to jump right into how we are to keep this commandment. However, we need to first look at how the root of this sin uh, can be overcome. And it's not by our uh, sheer willpower uh, by any means. We need the right remedy against this sin. Otherwise, our hearts won't really be changed. But the good news is that the right remedy is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. To see this, I want to point again to Adam and Eve right after the fall into sin. They felt exposed before God. They knew they were sinners. They were guilty. They were filled with shame. And so that's why they became afraid of God, the, the God of justice and, and majesty. So they hid themselves when they heard God walking in the garden. They made clothing of fig leaves to cover themselves up. And this feeling of being exposed before God has not gone away. As Hebrews 4 says, No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And as we saw, hiding from God can take the form of trying to change who God is. What did God do for Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden? Well, Article 17 of the Belgian Confession puts it so well when it says, When God saw that man had plunged himself into physical and spiritual death and made himself completely miserable, our gracious God in his marvelous wisdom and goodness set out to seek man when he trembled, trembling fled from him. And he comforted him with the promise that he would give him his son. God came to them in his grace, his forgiving grace. And when you read Genesis 3, you can see that God also, he made proper clothing for Adam and Eve. He made animal skins for them to, to cover them up, hide their shame. He removed their need to hide from God. So that fear of being exposed before God is so tempting to run away was removed by God himself. 
And that is what we need in our hearts to cure our desire to corrupt God's image. And this is the very thing God has done for us in Jesus Christ. God has removed our need, our desire to run away from God, hide from him. That's because Christ took upon himself our human nature. He stepped into our place. He took our sins, our shame upon himself, all of it. He bore our iniquities on the cross. He paid for our sins in full. And so he suffered and died so that we would be completely reconciled to God, brought into a friendly, a loving relationship that now God is our Father. And now through faith in Jesus Christ, God counts to us the, the righteousness of Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who knew no sin, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. So that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The very righteousness of God in Christ. Or listen to Galatians 3. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ or clothed yourselves with Christ. And it is this work of Christ that allows us to stand before Almighty God. It's this work of Christ that allows us to come before him without fear. To quote the Belgian Confession again, there's also Article 23, our, our righteousness before God. There it says, the obedience of Christ is ours when we believe in him. And this is sufficient to cover all our iniquities to give us confidence in drawing near to God, freeing our conscience of fear, terror, and dread, so that we do not follow the example of our first father, Adam, who trembling tried to hide and cover himself with fig leaves. See, now we can, in Christ, come before God. No fear. We don't need to corrupt God's image, to hide ourselves. Instead, we can come into his glorious presence in Christ. We can soak in now the beauty of who God is as he's revealed himself in the Bible, not cutting out any part of scripture, but knowing this is our God. He is our Father in Jesus Christ. So we can learn about him, submit to what he says about himself in the Bible, accept it, and glorify him for it. We can now begin to do what the Westminster Catechism says, to glorify God and enjoy him forever and stand in awe of all his perfections. Brings us to our last point. We're going to look at ways we grow in gaining true knowledge of God. So in light of what we have in Christ, we now aim to grow in obedience to the second commandment. And this, first of all, means avoiding certain sins, I think of what Jeremiah 10 describes. God exhorts his people there. Learn, don't learn the way of the nations. For their customs, their, their vanity, they're useless, uh, they're corrupt. 
Uh, they cut down a tree and a craftsman shapes it. They decorate it nicely with silver and gold. Then they nail it down so they cannot move. And their idols are like scarecrows in a field. And they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. God is teaching his people. Why follow in the way of the pagans who have no hope? They serve gods who cannot save. Their gods need to be made by people. They need to be nailed down so that they don't fall over. They need to be carried because they can't move their legs. They are useless. But whom do you serve? You serve the living God. Don't try to degrade him, deface him, deglorify him. Why would you strip him of his beauty, his majesty, his raw and awesome power? He's the God who saves you. He's the God in whom you can place your complete trust and confidence. He's the God who carries his people. You don't need to carry him. You can't. He will carry you. He's your God and your loving Father, Jesus Christ. God is your God in and through Jesus Christ. So now instead of corrupting the knowledge of God, we can study who our God is. We are now God's children. And this is a privilege to be able to study the Bible and learn who God is in his word. See, God, by his grace, has made himself known to us. He's allowed us to study who he is. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to. He could have hid himself from sinful people. But he has revealed himself, shown us who he is. He does this in magnificent ways. And coming to know him as he truly is is worth a lifetime of study. And it, it's meant to help us grow in our love of God, our, our relationship with him. that we might walk with him every day. You know, it's wonderful just how much... God has revealed to us. It is true that we won't know everything about God. It's simply impossible. But God has revealed many things to us about who he truly is. Again, I would like to quote the Belgian Confession one more time. This time, Article 2. Where it says, We know God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most beautiful book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as uh, so many letters leading us to perceive clearly God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. Look at creation. Look around you as you step outside after this service. Everywhere around you, you see God's just incredible power. You see his marvelous wisdom, his his intricate design, his, yeah, his wisdom and goodness, it's all around you. It's calling out to you that, that God is there and that he is marvelous and that he's worthy of all your, your worship and, and adoration. You can know God by creation. Think about what we read in Jeremiah 10. It is the Lord who made the earth by his power. 
who established the world by wisdom and by his understanding, stretched out the heavens. He makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. Uh, he makes the lightning and, and on and on. All testifying to the majesty and power of your God. Stand in awe of him. You see, the natural tendency is to suppress this truth about God because of our sin. Christ has made us God's children. So now instead of suppressing the truth about God, we can revel in it. This creation provides a feast to our eyes so that that so magnificently displays God's glory. As the old, old hymn says, This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. And we can add our voices to that chorus of praise in the world. Now, Article 2 of the Belgian Confession gives us one more way how God makes himself known to us. Second, God makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. As far as is necessary for us in this life, to his glory and our salvation. You want to know your, who your God is. You need to study the Bible. Read the Bible. Study God's word every day. Let me say again, I highly doubt any of you have tried making a statue of God or are even tempted to. So how does this commandment apply to us? It applies mostly in coming to know God truly as, as we read about him in the Bible. Read the Bible, beloved. See your God. See, if you refuse to read the Bible because you don't really like who God is, maybe because you're scared of him, you're making the same mistake Adam and Eve did, essentially trying to hide from God. But remember, remember what Christ has done. And this allows us to study the Bible in faith, to submit what God says about himself, to know him, to gain an accurate picture of God. The Bible tells us so many things about, about God. It tells us about God's wrath. Take, for example, Psalm 90. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? We must not remove that from our understanding of who God is. The Bible tells us about God's justice. Take Psalm 92. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. This must form our thinking about who God is. Scripture teaches us about God's compassion. Take Psalm 103. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God's compassion, something to rejoice in. And in God's word, we also hear about God's love. Take only those well-known words from John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we could go on. We could go on for days and days and days with all of God's perfections, including his holiness, his faithfulness, and mercy. And as we do this more and more in faith, then we will come to see that our God is indeed the overflowing fountain of all good. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word.
by singing together Psalm 135, the stanzas 2, 6, 7, and 10. <laughs> 